Hello, my name is Atish Ghosh of the Research Department at the International Monetary Fund, and welcome to this podcast produced by the IMF. The International Monetary Fund is currently deeply involved in discussions of the financial crisis threatening to engulf the members of the Eurozone. But its role in the eye of the storm should be one that the fund is well accustomed to. Between 1990 and 1999 alone, the IMF oversaw the transition of many former Eastern Bloc countries into market economies, played an important role in the aftermath of capital account crises from Mexico to East Asia, and all the while was introducing some historical reforms back at headquarters. It's a significant period of history for the organization, which is now described in a new book, Tearing Down Walls, the International Monetary Fund, 1990-1999, written by the fund's official biographer, James Boughton, who joins me now. Jim, can I begin by asking you to tell us a little bit about your new book? Thank you, Rex. The, uh, the book is called Tearing Down Walls, uh, and it is that, that title is meant to evoke several things that happened in the 1990s. The first major event was the collapse of the Soviet Union at the end of 1991. Uh, that created 15 new countries. These were all countries that had little or no experience with market economics. And the IMF was called upon to help these countries become market economies. And it was a, a huge challenge. The other thing that happened was a devastating series of financial crises that really started with the Mexican peso crisis that hit in December 1994. And it continued with a series of crises across East Asia, in Thailand, Indonesia, and Korea that spread to Russia in 1998. It really affected uh, the whole world economy in a major way. So that series of financial crises created a tremendous amount of work for the IMF, posed new challenges for uh, the staff and management of the fund. It was a decade of globalization. The walls between countries, walls that limited the trade between countries, walls that limited of financial flows between countries, all those walls came tumbling down. And I've tried to write the book in a way that conveys that drama. This was also a period in which uh, surveillance, as we understand it, in other words, monitoring uh, countries' performance, looking at their exchange rates to make sure that the, the world economy is functioning well, took on a, a greater role. Can you Talk a little bit about what happened there. Yes. When the Mexican crisis hit at the end of 1994, it was apparent to the fund that it had not had enough data uh, in real time during 1994 to understand what was going on in Mexico. And that led to a lot of soul searching in the building. Uh, We had to work more closely and intensely with countries to understand what was going on in their economies. And so all through the second half of the decade, uh, this whole idea of of the fund itself being more transparent and the fund encouraging countries to be more transparent in their dealings both with the fund and with other countries became a major focus of of what the fund did. And so it was really a, a major cultural change. What would you like your readers to keep in mind and what sort of messages do you think come out of uh, your look at the history over this period? The positive message is that when these major challenges hit, the fall of the Soviet Union, this whole devastating series of financial crises, the major countries of the world turn to the IMF to try to deal with these challenges. I think it's fair to say that the IMF 
was able to rise to that challenge. And I think part of the evidence for that is that when the current world economic crisis hit in 2008, uh, it was again the IMF that countries turned to to, uh, to help more than, more than any other institution. But, but behind all this, I think there's a darker message, which is that these crises keep happening. Uh, people have learned that this is a, a problem that's not going to go away, and I think the, the future is going to see countries calling on the IMF time and time again to, to help. It's a, a very different institution from the one that I joined. I first joined the staff 30 years ago in 1981. The biggest change is just this cultural shift from secrecy to openness. Uh, it was a much smaller institution. It was a much more closed institution. It, it's a very different institution from the way it used to be. Jim, during the, the 1990s was a very controversial time for the IMF, uh, partly because of our involvement in the Asian crises and indeed in, in, in Latin America. Uh, we're accused of pushing a Washington consensus. What's your reading of whether we were monolithic in our views and whether those criticisms were, were valid? I think some of the criticisms are valid. There were various times in the 1990s when the, the IMF was a little bit behind the, the curve and was unable to anticipate what was happening. That usually came about because we didn't have the data that we had. One thing that I found uh, very striking when I was doing the research for this book was that Stanley Fisher, one of the most prominent and successful macroeconomists in the world, joined the IMF as first deputy managing director in, in the middle of 1994. And Stan told me once that he was almost shocked when he joined the fund to find out that people in the fund didn't really have anywhere near as much information about what was going on as, as he had expected. He thought that we knew everything and there was people on the outside who didn't know anything, but it turns out nobody knew anything. But I think in terms of criticism, the, the, the most severe criticism the fund has ever come under came about because of the Asian crisis. We saw some problems out there, but it's, it's extremely difficult to actually see a crisis coming. Uh, I happened to have been at a conference at Cambridge University in England in July of, of 1997. Uh, and in the middle of that conference, we all learned that Thailand was devaluing the bat and was being uh, forced into crisis mode and calling in the IMF for advice and so on. And Stan Fisher was also at that conference. And he knew immediately after having been in the fund for uh, almost three years at that point, he knew immediately that this was not just a little isolated problem in Thailand. Your book, uh, I know, has, has many fascinating details, uh, some anecdotes, a lot of very uh, solid research uh, going through the archives and, and historical facts. Could you just close by giving us a little bit of your reflections on, on being the IMF historian? I know it's something you've enjoyed very much, but tell us a little bit about it. People ask me all the time. Uh, it's, it's a nice cocktail party kind of conversation. Uh, why does the IMF even have an historian? Because the fund realized, management in the fund realized that nobody outside the building had any idea what was going on here, what kind of work we were really doing. Uh, I get asked a lot of questions from other staff whenever there's a policy paper to be written, people need to know what's been tried before. And so I can explain to people why things that might seem workable on the surface have been tried and, and haven't been accepted in the past. So there are a lot of facets to the job. 
I think what I've enjoyed most about it is uh, traveling around the world and uh, I hear great stories, I meet wonderful people. What I've learned in 20 years of doing this job is hard to summarize, but trying to put it into words is great fun and a wonderful challenge.